You're listening to The Reaching In Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Newport News. It's our mission at The Reaching In Podcast to see you grow in your love, knowledge, and obedience to Jesus Christ. This week, we have a discussion with founder of True Idea Apologetics, Adam Coleman. Well, welcome to The Reaching In Podcast. I am Pastor David, and it is so awesome to be back with a special, special uh, set of episodes. We are breaking this down with apologist extraordinaire, my dear brother in Christ, Adam Coleman. Adam, welcome to the Reaching In podcast. Hey, good to be here, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I know you. I've seen your work. I've heard you talk so many times, and I'm always uh, amazed at your wealth of knowledge both in philosophy, worldviews, but also as a historian. So we're, we are at uh, a premium today having you on here, but share with the audience a little bit about you and uh, the ministry and the things that you're doing. Yeah, praise God, man. Well, I'm a you know proud member of uh, Calvary Chapel, Newport News, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but um, when I first came to Calvary Chapel, uh, you know, man, I guess it's been maybe about, four or five years ago, you know, when I first uh, came to Calvary Chapel, one of the things that I was looking for in a church was uh, a tribe, if you will, you know what I'm saying, somewhere I could, I could really get plugged in. And that's where I've I, I found at Cal- Calvary Chapel. And I'm, I'm definitely thankful for my, you know, my family and everything has been welcomed and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I quite, yeah, I just kind of was in the background a little bit at first, you know, trying to, you know, dip my toe in. And then, uh, you know, God made, you know, open up some doors for me to be able to minister to folks and just really grow as a Christian, as a disciple in the Lord at Calvary. So I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be able to share on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm a husband of one and father of four, you know, uh, four, four busy kids. Uh, thankful for every last one of them, but they, they uh, you know, they give me a run for my money. And, you know, uh, so when I'm not, you know, changing diapers and, and scraping, you know, or, you know, uh, putting band-aids on scraped knees and stuff like that. I, I try to squeeze in a, apologetics as, as best as I can, you know, so that's pretty much my life in a nutshell. Uh, but, you know, just some years ago, uh, quite frankly, I, I was really grappling with some questions um, concerning the faith and uh, really wrestling with some things, trying to get my doctrine right or whatever. And by God's grace, you know, he led me to some resources, both in order to clean up my theology and as well to um, get a better understanding of the evidences for Christianity. And that was kind of like my entry point into uh, dealing with apologetics. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I say all the time, you know, for me, it's a, it's a personal thing when I do apologetics because it's been a, a blessing to me, you know, as a believer, developing and strengthening my faith. And so, um, I mean, quite frankly, you know, you know, God bless him. My, my dad has passed on now, but I kind of get it from him. If I'm really interested in something, I've got to do it. I've got to like, I can't just be on the bench. So um, as I got more and more interested in apologetics, uh, I felt that lo- the Lord was leading me to launch a platform, you know, where I was able to share with other people uh, the kinds of things that, um, you know, God was using uh, to, to bless me with. And so I ended up starting the True ID podcast um, that it led into me, um, launching the you know, True ID uh, YouTube channel and writing blogs and then op- doors open up to do speaking engagements and things of that nature. The Lord just has really opened up a lot of doors. And I just go around giving people giving people what God gave me, to be honest with you. You know, the Lord has, uh, you know, many things that we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, you know, God helped me to wrestle through uh, some of my questions and I try to help other people do the same. So, yeah. Wow. Well, hey, they, as you said, you mentioned True ID. Now, 
Now, for those who aren't hip on what you were trying to show there, because you got a little, you got a little double meaning there in that name. Oh, right, right. Break it down for the people so they know well, what does True ID mean. Yeah, yeah. So uh, True ID is an acronym. It stands for the Real You Imago Day, and Imago Day is Latin for Image of God. Hmm. And so, um, you know, maybe about five or six years ago. Again, I was kind of wrestling with some questions, you know, I mean, and, and a lot of people I think can relate to this. I mean, you're scrolling through your newsfeed on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you're seeing things like, you know, Christianity is the white man's religion. Mm. And, you know, somehow it's like kind of a oxymoron to be black and Christian. You know, people say that, you know, a number of different ways. I right. tried to use that as an objection to Christianity. And so I was seeing these kinds of things. And I was noticing a lot of the, you know, the groups, some of which we'll be talking about here in a minute, but whether it be the Hebrew Israelites, the Kemetics, uh, the Moors and, and just these different groups that are propping up in the uh, African-American context, they would always kind of use that identity piece as like the lead jab, if you will. <laughs> it's kind of like a one-two punch where they'll kind of lead with, hey, here's your identity. And then B, here's this, the world you, you should take on at, you know, in light of your identity. Right. Um, and as I was noticing that pattern, it just really struck me is that you know this identity issue is something that is unfortunately prominent in the African-American context. And what we need to be doing is getting back to our true ID, our real identity. At our very foundation, we are made in the image of God. That is the foundation. And if you don't have that as a starting point, you will inevitably uh, find yourself off course in terms of how you understand yourself and how you understand others and how you relate to others and so forth. So that's kind of like the, the reason why I named it True ID. I'm really calling people back to the biblical foundation of who we are, made in God's image, and you know, uh, children of God through covenant um, uh, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That is, folks, you are in for a treat. Like I said, True ID Apologetics, True ID YouTube channel with Adam Coleman. Check those things out. I am on there as much as I can to to get down with what Adam is doing. Uh, he's very thoughtful. You guys are going to be in for a treat as we tackle some of these questions. So first off, if you don't mind, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Sure. Okay, all the rage right now, you know, you hear the words, you know, there are so many buzzwords going around. And of course, let's let's be honest, it is Black History Month. Okay, it right. is February, it is the month that, you know, yeah. uh, we, we focus on, on what the contributions of African-Americans and the African-American plight in America and things of that nature. And of course, African-American history is American history, obviously. Sure, sure. But there are many that have no idea, they're ignorant. Um, and part to that identity piece you're talking about, they don't understand that African-American Blacks, I should say, are in scripture. Um, so were there any notable Blacks in scripture or in church history for that matter? And if so, what were their, who were they and what were their contributions uh, to Christianity? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's so important that they're recovering this and, and I'll explain further in a minute, but in terms of my own personal testimony, um, this question right here, I think, um, my pastor back in the day, addressing it back in the 90s, really helped me to um, you know, frame my, my faith in ways that go against the notion that Christianity is a white man's religion. So I, I, I never forget when I was a teenager, probably maybe, well, I'll say like 12 or 13, uh, my pastor at the time, uh, Pastor John Cherry, uh, did a series called Seeking the Lost. And in that series, he went through, you know, Genesis to Revelation, all the figures in the Bible that we could have good reason to believe uh, were African, or we might say, you know, black or whatever. Right. And so as a result of that, later on in life, when I got to college and people you know, on the campus were like, oh man, Christianity is white man religion, that's a white man's book, blah, blah, blah. I can recall like, oh snap, like that's not true. Because I had remembered like my pastor going through that. And so 
this question I think is so crucial in that, you know, we really need to be vaccinating, I think, believers against those objections of Christianity. And we can do that starting with the scriptures, you know. So now I do want to say this. One thing that we have to be careful about doing is reading modern understandings of identity into the scriptures. I'm saying we don't want to eisegete the text. I'm saying we don't want to take something and then bring it into the text with us. We want the text to tell us, you know, what the deal is. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so, you know, when you think about uh, this concept of you know blackness, whiteness, or whatever, in terms of the way that we that we see it in society today, that concept isn't isn't found directly in scripture. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea of race, the way it functions today, mm. isn't found in scripture. And so, if you're going to be a responsible theologian, a student of the Bible in general, what you want to do is we want to look in the scriptures and see how do the biblical authors communicate uh, certain things about um, people. In, in you know how, how's the Bible talk basically that's that's kind of what we want to identify. Now, one of the things that you see is that in the scriptures we can get you know indications about somebody's ethnic heritage, where they're from, and so on and so forth, based upon certain identifiers. Whether it be you know somebody mentioning a, a physical feature about that person that kind of clues us in. Okay, well this person was probably what we would call black, or it may talk about what region somebody is from, you know, and things of that nature. So from those things, we can kind of glean, uh, you know, you know where somebody's from, and if they were like walking around today, you know, we would maybe identify that person as, as a black person. So, for example, you know, particularly, you know, uh, in the Old Testament, I'm thinking about. Um, well, I mean, quite frankly, there's, there's several examples that we can give. Let me let me be clear that Africa sure. and Africans are mentioned like 1,400 times in the scriptures. Four, you know, 1400, right? So obviously we're not going to cover all 1400 today because no, no. <laughs> you know, that would be, you know, that it would take all the Black History Month to cover, you know, the number of, of instances that, that Africans in Africa are mentioned in the scriptures. Right. So we just want to kind of, you know, you know, throw out a couple of tidbits here and there so people can see, you know, the presence of Africans in the Bible. But, you know, for example, we can look at, um, you know, the, the, the term Kushi. I'm saying sometimes you see the word Kushi or Kushite, I'm yeah. saying sometimes you see the word Ethiopian, you know, these words are used not only in terms of the regions that they're talking about in Africa. And you know, Kush, Kushi would have been somewhere like south of, of Egypt, what we might call Nubia today, mm -hmm. um, moving over even into Ethiopia. People would be referred to as a Kushite or Kushi, I'm saying as an indicator that they were from a region where there's black folk. <laughs> so when you see the word Kushi, Right. That lets you know that you have an African on your hands. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that being said, let's go to um, the book of Jeremiah. All right. And we can look at uh, chapter 36. I'm going to go ahead and bring up my notes here. Because if I don't, I'm just going to keep talking and we'll be here for the, for the rest of the night. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you look in, in uh, chapter six, you find an interesting gentleman. Excuse me, I think, yeah, I think I said six. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 36. You find an interesting uh, gentleman named Jehudi. Okay. Hmm. Now, Jehudi, it lists his lineage and it says, Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi. Right. So it's, give, it's telling you something about him through his lineage. And there you come to that word Cushi. Right. Now, Cushi, not only was he a person, but it's also used to refer to that region as well. You know what I'm saying, but the fact that he was a son of Cushi is telling you that he was of the lineage of some black folk, right? So this would be, you know, uh, the, the, the presence of the word cushy there would be that that's something that scholars would no, would take note of and say, hey, we have somebody here, you know, who we can reasonably say was black. Now what's interesting about this guy Jehudi is that he was like, basically like a diplomat. 
and he occupies a very interesting uh, part in the story. We won't get into it in detail. Uh, but this is a guy who, based upon what it says in the passage, he would have been somebody of, of like high importance. And he was reporting to the royal court and he's fulfilling duties of like a diplomacy type of a thing. So this is not a guy who just kind of scraping by bottom of the barrel. This is somebody who's a black man in Israel who's occupying a, a place of some authority and influence, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, we can go to a couple chapters later. We can go to chapter 38 uh, uh, right there in Jeremiah, where we find another gentleman who is, is, is his name is Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Okay, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really get a whole lot more blatant than that. But nope. you have a gentleman who uh, his name is Ebed Melech, which means servant of the king, and it refers to him as the Ethiopian. Now, again, when we think Ethiopian, we typically think from a, like a nationalistic standpoint. Okay, there's there's an actual country named Ethiopia. But again, understanding you know uh, the way that the Bible uses the term Ethiopian, it's more flexible in that because you might have somebody who's you know from that particular region, you know who may be indeed an Ethiopian uh, in terms of what the region that they're from. But it's also used to refer to people who were just dark complected because that term in ancient in ancient terms means the people of burnt skin, right? So it could have just been any you know dark skinned person might be referred to as an Ethiopian. And so again, the authors are using that descriptor to tell you something about the individual that we're dealing with, okay? Now, what's interesting is that this guy, Ebed Melech, he doesn't play like some small role, okay, here, here in, the, in the scriptures. If you're looking at through, through the, entire, the entirety of uh, chapter 38, Ebed, Ebed Melech was actually the guy who literally saved the prophet Jeremiah's life, okay? Jeremiah had found himself on the wrong side of the king's wrath for speaking up against wickedness in Israel and so forth. And for that, he was sentenced uh, to being plunged into an empty well where he just would have, you know, starved to death, right? Uh, but Ebed Midlech essentially saves uh, Jeremiah's life by pleading for the king to overturn his destinies, and he also works with a few others to tie some garments together, and they pull Jeremiah out of the well. Now, interestingly enough, if you read further, uh, for saving the prophet's uh, Jeremiah's life, God declares through Jeremiah that when the judgment comes to the nation, that Ebed Midlech, the Ethiopian, would have nothing to worry about, basically. That God was going to spare his life for helping Jeremiah, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 18. He put his trust in the Lord, right? So already, you know, just in the book of Jeremiah, we've got two instances. We've got, uh, you know, Ebed Melech, who we just read uh, about, you know, saved the prophet Jeremiah's life. It was just kind of a big deal, right? Uh, and then we also have uh, Jehudi, you know, son of Cushai, who was a, a, a statesman if you will, you know, so, you know, again, these aren't just people who are, you know, I, just kind of popping up in scripture and just kind of meaningless, right? Wow. Uh, these are people who were very important. Now, again, there's so many other examples I could give, and I'm going to give a couple more, uh, but just to be clear, we could even talk about Moses's wife, Zipporah, saying it was, it was a woman who's a, a Canaanite, you know, and, and, you know, some of the other, you know, Jews felt some kind of way about him marrying, you know, Zipporah, but God, you know, handled that. You can go back and read about that, how they was murmuring against Moses on it. You can see, you know, God was not playing. You know what I'm saying? They were talking about Moses' wife, but Zipporah would have been a woman of African descent. You had the mixed multitude coming out of, uh, you know, or going into uh, the Exodus as the uh, the children of Israel were entering um, Egypt. And there's, there's clearly, you know, amongst that mixed multitude, you would have had people of African and Asian descent. So again, we're just kind of scratching the surface, you know, but, you know, there's so many different examples we can give. We could go to uh, the book of Ze Zephaniah, right? Right there in uh, Zephaniah chapter one, verse one, it says this right here, check this out. 
Now, mind you, Zephaniah, the prophet of God, right? right? And you know, he he's um, you know, he's got a book in the Bible, right? It, it, I don't I don't think it gets much more influential than that to have a book in the Bible. But so Zephaniah, uh, chapter one, verse one, it says, "The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi." the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amari, the son of Hezekiah during the reign of Josiah of Ammon, uh, king of Judah. But what does it say there? Zephaniah, son of Cushi. There, there it is again, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you, if you don't know what you're looking for, you can easily just kind of skip over that and, right. and not understand why, you know, this was included. But, but again, for um, Israelites, lineage is very important. So when you're, when you're, they're taking time to give you somebody's lineage, that's not something to be skipped over. The, the author of the Bible it puts it in there for the reason, for a reason, right? He wants to tell you something about the individual that you know that the text has to do with, right? Or that portion of scripture is dealing with, right? Now here in Zephaniah, again, you're seeing he's the son of Cushy, right? Mm -hmm. He traces black back to black folks <laughs> that we would say today. So we have a prophet in the Bible, one of God's prophets, right? Who has a whole book in the Bible, right? We have great reason to believe that this person was of African descent. So I just want to pause here and say, we haven't even gotten to the New Testament yet. All right. We haven't even gotten to the New Testament yet. But right. two things. Okay. Number one, if it was a white man's book, mm -hmm. so far, they're doing a pretty bad job because they've already <laughs> got some black folks as literally a prophet of God, right? a statesman, you know what I'm saying, uh, in, in Israel's court. And also a gentleman who saves one of the prophets of God, as well as I also mentioned, what you know, a, a, a wife of God's most, you know, notable prophet in the Old Testament, Moses. You see what I'm saying? And we also have Africans amongst the people of God, Israel. So just in the Old Testament, already, if the book was written by white supremacists, they're already <laughs> messing up. They 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 failed miserably <laughs> because they included, you know, several uh, important members of uh, several important Africans in the text. But I want to I want to give a little bit more though. Again, we're just kind of yeah. giving little snippets, okay? Sure, sure. But let's go let's go to the New Testament. All right, let's talk about the Book of Acts. Now, actually, just about a week ago, I was on a friend of mine's channel, uh, and we did a a whole segment on uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and I would really encourage people to check that out. So, uh, my friend of mine is uh, his name is uh, he goes by the BK Apologist, and uh, maybe I can give you the link and, and people can check that out. But we we literally did like a whole hour and a half to two hours just talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, okay? Uh, but I, at first I wanna go to Acts chapter two. Let me let me bring up my notes here. Very, very interesting, something we see here in Acts chapter two. And we're, we're actually gonna do some stuff outside the scriptures in a minute as well. Um, but let's, let's get to Acts chapter two, okay? Now, so Acts chapter two, just kind of, you know, give an overall summary. Obviously, you know, Jesus has gone to the cross, he's resurrected, he's commissioned his, his disciples to you know, um, you know, go go to Jerusalem, what have you. You know, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall, right, right. and to be commissioned to, to go out and do the work of God. And so, in Acts chapter two, they're all gathered together. They're all gathered together, right? Um, you have disciples and a, and a number of early believers uh, gathered, praying together, and an event that would come to be called Pentecost. Right. And something special happens. Okay, as these early believer, early believers are praying in in an upper room, they get louder and louder, and they find themselves praying in a language that they themselves don't understand. But what's interesting is this: the Bible reports that there are people from various nations visiting Jerusalem during this time for the religious festival, and it says that a multitude of these visitors overheard the disciples praying in that upper room. 
Right. And it says that among this multitude, they were amazed because even though the uh, praying believers were all from one specific area called Galilee, the folks in this multi-ethnic crowd each heard the believers praying in their own tongue, in their own languages, right? Now, according to uh, verse 10 in, uh, in chapter 2, there were Egyptians and Libyans in that crowd among who were hearing, you know, what they refer to as the wonderful works of God in their mother tongue, Right. So what we're talking about is here in Acts chapter two, as the Holy Spirit is breaking forth and God is declaring the wonderful works through, you know, the, these languages and so forth. You have Africans right there front and center receiving the message of God in Acts chapter two at the very, you know, taking off, if you will, of the church. OK, so again, when people talk about or, or act as if Africans were like latecomers to the gospel. You know, like we didn't know nothing about Christianity until, you know, the, the white man showed up. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. Right. You know, when they they don't they're not re, they're not doing their homework because, you don't you literally at the taking off of the church. It was like you have Africans right there experiencing the first you know recorded miracle of the Holy Spirit, you know, with, with the issuing forth of these tongues. Now, I'm going to speed up a little bit because I want to definitely get to um, uh, Acts chapter 13 as well. OK. Now, let's, we skip over to Acts chapter 13. Which, again, we're just giving different instances of Africans in the Bible. This, this is very interesting here. Now, before I get there, excuse me, I did want to say something quickly about um, the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, I did a whole hour on it, so I'll refer to people there. But just one thing I want, want people to understand is that when you're dealing with the book of Acts, okay, the book of Acts is the second of two books that's written by uh, the Apostle Luke, okay? Mm -hmm. It's written to, and, and he's recording it and he's basically giving a report about what Jesus did and about the taking off of the, of the church. And he's trying to report to a gentleman named Theophilus. So his whole goal is to say, hey, look, this is what's popping with the church. I'm saying you, you've heard a little bit about it. I'm trying to present you an organized account. And he, here's what's going on with the church. OK, now think about this. It's not like, you know, now, like today, if, if I want to scribble something down on some paper, I, mean, I could just reach over right now. I got like a whole ream of paper sitting next to me right now. I could just write as much as I want. You know, right. if I get if I run out and go, you know, I get my little five dollars and go get some more from from Office Max or something like that, you know. But back then in Luke's day, you know, it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were writing a book, you had a limited amount of time because it was expensive. Right. So you had a limited amount of space, rather. So whatever you're including in the account of whatever it is that you're writing is going to be of the utmost importance. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, when you think about what Luke is talking about in the book of Acts, he notes a number of different conversions, people who came to Christ. Right. And there's a reason he does this. In Acts chapter 8, you have the recording of Philip, where Philip is going along, minding his business, and the Lord tells him to run up to this chariot of a guy that we now know is, is the Ethiopian eunuch. This is somebody who was coming from Ethiopia. He was going to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, he, he was a eunuch, which is very interesting. So he probably was not allowed into the inner you know, of course, he would have had to be on the outside or what have you because of his, his physical status as being a eunuch. I guess we don't have to get into detail about that. But, right. <laughs> you know, but so he's, he's a eunuch and, you know, he's reading the book of Isaiah. God tells him to run up to the chariot. Um, you know, he explains, you know, gives a further understanding of Isaiah because the guy, you know, Ethiopian eunuch is like, hey, man, I'm reading this book and I don't understand who this particular passage is talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, Philip explains to him about the Lord Jesus and then the Ethiopian unit gets uh, gets baptized. He's like, man, shoot, there's some water right here. How come I can't get baptized? Boom, he gets baptized. And then next thing you know, uh, the Holy Spirit whisks uh, Philip away. And then you continue on with the Acts narrative. Now, clearly, Luke was very intent on giving this story to the Theophilus. It was very important 
that Theophilus understood that this um, this gospel wasn't just something for the Jews, right? You have the Ethiopian eunuch, somebody who's really, honestly, if you go back, I'm gonna get into it, but if you go back to the book of Isaiah, given that he was a eunuch, shouldn't he have even been entering into the assembly. I'm saying, but he's brought nigh through the cross. And then you have all these other accounts where you're dealing with uh, whether it be um, you know several women who who get saved throughout the Book of Acts and people who are of of high you know you know status in society and people who were a slave girl she gets delivered and things of that nature. I mean the the author of you know excuse me uh, Luke the author of Acts is telling all these different stories to explain to Theophilus hey this gospel is for everybody and you see him incorporating the Ethiopian eunuch story in that which is extremely powerful you know but aside from that I want I want to make sure we get to um, um, you know, Acts chapter 13, and then I, I know I've been talking a lot, so maybe oh, we can good. switch streams if we want, but uh, I get excited about this stuff, man. I, I really do, hey, you know. I'm just um, trying to take it in. <laughs> yeah. So now, well, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting, right? So mm -hmm. Acts chapter 13, okay? In the first verse of that chapter, we're introduced to a group of prophets and teachers, is what it says, right? Who prayed for and sent the apostle Paul and Barnabas out on Paul's very first missionary journey. Now, among this group, I want to key in on two of them specifically. There's four gen gentlemen that's mentioned, but I want to key on two gentlemen. One uh, in the chapter, uh, he's referred to as uh, Simeon or Simon, who was called Niger. You know, someone pronounced it Niger, but, you know, it was called Niger. And you also have a gentleman named Lucius of Cyrene. Now, remember I talked about earlier how the biblical authors are going to use regions and they're going to use, you know, certain indicators um, you know, or talk about certain attributes of people to indicate, that, you know, their, you know, uh, skin, maybe, well, from which we can infer their skin color and 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 ethnicity and so forth, right? And so, and such is the case when it comes to Simeon the Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene, Cyrene um, was a region around what we would call Libya in Africa. So you're talking about North Africa there. You know, so that's where Lucius is from. Excuse me. And then when uh, with with Simeon, it says he was called Niger. Now the term Niger is Latin. It literally means black. That's literally what the word means, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you have uh, uh, this gentleman from from Libya, and you also have Simeon the Black. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of being funny here. You might maybe you can edit this part out if you need to, but <laughs> but you know, every every hood you know that that I've been around, you always have that one dude who's like darker skinned than everybody else, and they call yeah, so it's black so and so. You know what I mean? You know, like black black Joe, or you know, sometimes they'll call him. You know, he, he might be Smoke. Every every, every neighborhood's got like a Smokey well, or something. You're like listening. That. <laughs> Not every black person looks like Steph Curry, okay? Right, 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 right. Like Wesley Snipes. Continue. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, even today, sometimes we'll use like these kind of little indicators or, or nicknames to indicate something about that person. I remember when I was in college, there, there was on my floor at the, at the Doms, you know, there was a... Um, you know, there were two people named Adam. There was a white Adam and there was a black Adam. So sometimes when someone referred to Adam and they weren't sure who, they would say, oh yeah, I'm talking about black Adam or white Adam. You know, it wasn't like a derogatory thing. They were using a descriptor, right? So this is what we have here with Simeon, you know, the Niger. His name is literally Simeon the Black. I don't know how I could be any clearer than that. You know what I mean? I, clearly this was a black man, right? Uh, but with that being said, here's, here's what's interesting, right? Now, again, Simeon the Black, and uh, Lucius of Cyrene, you know, again, that's, that's Libya. You know, they're part of a group of prophets and teachers that literally commissioned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Now, this is the same Paul who goes on to write over half of the New Testament. You know, clearly, if, you know, wherever Christianity goes after, you know, the canonization of the scriptures, you know, what the scriptures are, are put together, Paul's words are going to be there, right? 
Now, I say that to say this. You'll have all these people today who talk about, oh, well, you know, that Christianity comes from the white man, it comes from the European, and so on and so forth. And I'm saying, well, hold up. See, you're not rewinding the tape far back enough. Because before you can have Christianity in Western Europe, i.e. England, France, you know, the Danish or whatever. Before that, it's go all the way back to day one. You had these African prophets and teachers Hmm. who commissioned the Apostle Paul, who would eventually go on to write the scriptures that then Christianized those European areas. So Hmm. if you're going to tell the story, you got to rewind it all the way back. Now, mind you, let me be clear. Let me be clear. This is not any glory to Africans. This is not glory to Simeon the Niger. This is not glory to, to Lucius of Cyrene. What this is, is God demonstrating. I don't care about none of that. My people are my people. My kingdom is transcendent with respect to race, culture, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to use who I want to use. And if you want to come along, you know, Johnny come lately and talk about the white man's religion. I'm just saying you got to deal with deal with the facts. Let's not rewrite history to try to make your point. You know, so I, I can get into some historical points there, but I know I've said a lot. I don't know if you want to uh, oh, you know, that, come that, back on that. or whatever. Folks, if you were, I I hope you all were taking notes, rewind this YouTube video, uh, rewind this footage, um, because you you need to pick up everything that our brother Adam here was putting down. Um, Clearly, if we rewind the tape back far enough, and we really are students of the scriptures, and you made a great point that scripture, there's nothing there placed by chance. And so every name, every descriptor is there for a particular reason. And God knew what he was doing when he did it, especially considering the time frames in which this was being written and recorded and tr- and transmitted. They didn't have the luxuries that we have. And so they had to be very uh, intentional about what they were saying. Uh, just like, you know, if you only have 140 characters, you better make it count. Um, right, right. Detail in there, why? And so and we, we're going to get back to that whole thing about identity and descriptors, because you know, in today's world, we do read a lot of our personal descriptions into the text. Sure. And so yeah. the use of countries and, and where does that come to play will be will be coming up a little bit later. Thank you for listening to the Reaching In podcast. We hope you were blessed, encouraged, or challenged in some way to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Feel free to like, share, and most of all, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And leave us a comment and let us know how we're doing and how we can better serve you as a believer in Christ. And as always, keep pressing on and keep reaching in.